is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks, we're going to be taking a look at how businesses can overcome some of the barriers to growth and to scale in the face of the succession of supply chain challenges that have emerged over the last couple of years and continue to emerge as uh, geopolitical certainty reigns at a global uh, level, or geopolitical uncertainty rather reigns at a, at a, on, a, on a global level. So to discuss this topic, uh, I'm delighted to be joined by two of my colleagues from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group at the Society for the Advancement of Consulting. So we have Lisa Anderson, uh, President of LMA Consulting Group from the Los Angeles metro area. Welcome, Lisa. Great, glad to be here. And uh, David Ogilvy, Principal Consultant at David Ogilvy Consulting from Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. Welcome, David. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having us. Very welcome. Um, I think maybe before we get into things, I think maybe we should just first um, send our thoughts and wishes to the so many innocent people being killed, injured and exiled due to the war in Ukraine and hope that the, the mayhem there can be brought to a, a stop soon. And I guess... It also reminds us of uh, other conflicts causing pain and suffering around the world, some of which tend to be kind of uh, uh, forgotten. But, you know, there are things going on in, in Syria, in, in Yemen, where I was actually born, uh, in Afghanistan, in Ethiopia, in Somalia, Myanmar, Mozambique, and, and many more. So, guys, how is this uh, war being a process where you are, but, but by people in general and by businesses and their, and their supply chains? Um, what's the reaction there in, uh, in Brisbane, David? Uh, well, firstly, I'm very grateful that I live in a, in a peaceful country like Australia. Um, I'm extraordinarily uh, fortunate to have been born where I was born. And uh, that thought never leaves my mind when, when you have events like this. I just cannot imagine what it would be like to be living there in any of those sorts of places at the moment. So uh, personally, I just um, I find it extraordinary that uh, people have to live through, through, through those sorts of uh, events. Um, it is not getting, well, obviously the press are, are, are covering it very heavily, um, but, but again, they, they're focusing on uh, all, the, all the destruction, and there is plenty, obviously, and, and, and the despair, uh, as the media does. Um, but that's really all we're getting. We're not getting anything under the covers or, you know, an understanding of, of what's motivating Putin or any of that sort of stuff. And it's certainly getting a lot of coverage. Yeah, yeah. And Lisa, in California, West Coast, what's, um, what are people talking about in relation to this? And is it turning up in business in any way, in the supply chain? Well, uh, definitely every, people are talking about it. And, um, you know, of course, it's horrible. Uh, with that said, the it is... It is starting to affect, there's conversations about how it's going to affect the supply chain. Uh, certainly, like one of my clients um, uses nickel. And, um, you know, if anything is supplied by Russia or the Ukraine, um, they're in jeopardy. So, like, from that point of view, any commodity-based, um, there's a lot of commodities supplied by Russia and Ukraine. And there's a bunch of um, agricultural products, not generally to the U.S., but there's concerns about price increases because there's going to be less for the overall world. So like coin, uh, coin, uh, corn, wheat, um, and other, um, other agricultural products. So yeah, there's definitely, it's, it's so far it's just leading to concerns about increased further increased inflation. I mean, aside from obviously the horrible things related to war, but you know, from a supply chain point of view, uh, that's, that's, um, largely what it's related you know largely what's coming across so far yeah i guess here here in um 
in Ireland, Europe in, in general, we're seeing a kind of a spike in um, in, in fuel prices, which is affecting. Oh, both, well, yeah, <laughs> that both, too, yes. <laughs> both consumers and uh, the logistics industry, especially the transport industry. So um, I actually paid um, two euros and three cents for a litre of petrol um, in my last uh, fill. So um, I, I don't know what that turns into in gallons in dollars per gallon, but it's probably something like eight or eight eight dollars or something. So what, what do you pay for a gallon of petrol in in the uh, US? Florida keeps changing, but like over like it depends where you are, but five dollars. There's some places that are seven dollars uh, a gallon and and even higher. So it's it's skyrocketed, not just because of the war. It was starting it was skyrocketing anyway because of the energy policies we have. But now it's gone it's gone up like crazy since yeah. the war uh, started as well yeah so we, we've we've begun to see a government intervention so they actually reduced the taxes on fuel in an emergency measure brought them down by 20 cents a liter which is quite extraordinary um and then we've seen uh, the government urging uh, our farmers because it's planting season now uh, to plant more grain because there's going to be a grain shortage um after the next the next harvest um, because in Ukraine and Russia, well, particularly in Ukraine, they're not planting grain when usually they would be at this time of year. Um, and I guess what we're seeing on the ground as well is Ukrainian people are coming here. So we expect to receive maybe 100,000 or so here in, in Ireland. Um, basically, mm -hmm. they're being brought into the European Union with full uh, EU citizen rights for three years so they can live and work and they will be... Um, moving uh, into the different countries as a proportion of population. So we reckon in Ireland, given that 2.7 million have left uh, Ukraine and entered the EU, we reckon about 100,000 here. So that means wow. school, that means schools and housing and um, all the all the services that have to be provided. So it's going to be um, it's going to be a challenge. Um, so our, uh, our our topic today uh, is uh, scaling up. So in essence, talking about what are the obstacles that are currently in the way of businesses, maybe that have opportunity, have demand, and maybe even have the wherewithal to scale up to grow their businesses as we come out of COVID and the economies recover. Um, and now we're met with, with, with the war and the risk of escalation and everything else that's going on, inflation, potential interest rate hikes and so on. So very uncertain environment. So um, Lisa, what kind of obstacles are being encountered by your clients in the West Coast US in terms of the growth that they would wish to take advantage of and what are they doing about those obstacles? Uh, well, so first of all, I, I've been working with clients throughout uh, U.S. And actually, they have um, operations in Europe, too. So I can speak more to that, really, than even just sure. the West Coast. But from that point of view, um, you know, they're still suffering in terms of getting enough um, materials. Um, like, so there's shortages, extended lead times. They're still suffering with that and they're by all means suffering with extent with high prices. Um, so they're, they're, they're having a lot of issues uh, from that point of view. And I would say that um, there, there's a, just thinking about there, something else, but when, it, when I uh, remember it, I'll tell you, but basically the extended lead times and high prices has, has really caused um, some challenges. I would say, Oh, that's what I was going to tell you from the demand side of things. Um, it's like one of my clients has, lower demand right now, but it's mainly because their customers can't get the commodities they need, which is copper in their case, uh, to be able to, um, uh, um, you know, produce. So they, they still expect the same amount of demand, but it's, um, uh, but it's uh, you know, delayed. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So what kind of things are they doing about it? Uh, so they are um, really they're just having to wait because they're get their customers getting copper from before. So what we're having to do is store produce ahead because we just don't have the capacity to produce their entire amount that they would like um, when when it when the copper finally arrives. So we're having to produce ahead, which is causing actually it is causing havoc. I forget you know should have mentioned this because they we don't have enough space and there's not enough space throughout the U.S. Um, and if you can find the space, they were able to find some space, but it was like really expensive. So they said it wasn't actually worth it um, to get the business if they had to buy the space that was that expensive. So it's like a catch 22. So now we're like, I don't know, we're, we're, we're trying to get, we're trying to expand space. We're trying to prioritize customers and figure out where we're going to store things um, for when, um, when the business does come into fruition. It's not all because of popper, copper, but it's, uh, we also, on the other side, there's, um, there is some additional, uh, um, uh, like volume they're expecting that's over our ability to produce. And in that case, the problem is finding people. So we can't find enough people to run the lines. And so we're having to at least produce what, you know, the timing of the orders and when they come in versus the, um, you know, when we have people, which is, you know, yeah. Well, we have what we have. So basically we're needing to, um, you know, produce in advance because we certainly can't get more people when we need them. So anyway, it's just causing space problems as well. Yeah, that um, that's a topic that's hot here at the moment as well and has been for quite a while. Um, the shortage of space, particularly uh, quality warehouse space, because here in Ireland we have a lot of pharmaceutical and uh, med tech, medical devices and so on, and food production, obviously. And you need kind of high-grade warehousing facilities uh, for that. And uh, there's been a lot of a lot of pressure coming from all sorts of development. So Brexit put pressure on that. Um, COVID put pressure on that. Um, the removal of milk quotas here in 2015 put pressure on it. We had very strong economic growth from 2014 forward, put a lot of, a lot of pressure on uh, warehousing space. And now I anticipate that the disruption with the, with the war in Ukraine is, is going to pile more pressure on, on there. So it's one of the common things that I'm encountering with businesses all around. Not enough space and not enough quality of space. And some of the things I'm seeing coming out of that is companies now being uh, more open to investing in storage solutions that are not just your run-of-the-mill bog-standard pallet racking, um, but they're looking at high-density storage systems. And often, in order to make uh, use of the space, they sacrifice the aisles and they have dense uh, storage. But in order to get the selectivity to be able to get the, the products out or to get the pallets out or to get the boxes out, they need quite a lot of automation to do that. So we're seeing both um, um, more sophisticated storage systems and more automation in, in warehousing. And there is quite a bit of um, uh, ambition and investment in, in warehousing that we're seeing now um, that will come through over the next two to three years um, which is kind of um, um, maybe a change from five or six years ago. 
David, so what, what kind of what kind of obstacles are you seeing, David? And, oh, very uh, very similar, Patrick. I've, yeah, very similar. I've got I've got clients at the moment who are, who are extraordinarily uh, constrained with 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 where they can get their uh, where their product from. Uh, one client in particular uh, just cannot get the chassis they need from the from the manufacturers, and um, that, that's constraining their ability to build anything. Um, it's creating a lot of uh, noise in 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 their business in the sense that they've got to constantly replan. Uh, because of whatever uh, chassis they can get. Um, so it's creating a lot of additional work in the business that, that really shouldn't be there. <clears throat> um, so we're working on trying to, to come up with resolutions for that. Uh, that piece on, on warehousing is the same here. Um, trying to, you know, even personally, I was I was looking to buy some warehousing uh, a little while ago and the price of warehouses have just skyrocketed uh, because of the demand that's out there at the moment. So it's very difficult to find a reasonably priced warehouse that's providing a decent yield uh, at the moment. And, um, and there doesn't seem to be an appetite to be building them just yet. So maybe the commercial pressure will... will, will will change that. Um, so, you know, and high quality people, we've had our borders locked for a long time. So, you know, we, we are very much a uh, an immigrant nation in many ways. And most of our, um, uh, most of our skills come in from overseas. Um, our birth rate is extraordinarily low, uh, naturally here. So we are extraordinarily uh, highly dependent on on immigration and with our borders being shut um the price of of some people has just gone through the roof um consultants in the erp space for example are pulling extraordinary um uh salaries at the moment so that's putting the price of all of this sort of stuff up not to mention the energy prices as as, as lisa mentioned before and and you did it with our gas price you know petrol price here has gone through the roof however i suppose some of those um shortages that you're talking about um provides opportunities for australia at least because we are a commodity nation so we we are the second produ biggest producer of wheat in, in the world so the fact that uh, ukraine and um um Russia aren't exporting wheat uh, means that there's an opportunity for us. Um, whether we can grow any more is another kettle of fish because I'm pretty sure the wheat board nearly sells numbers. Uh, I, would, I would imagine, David, that your your wheat season now is well, cycle. Well, well advanced. So what you're going to have for this season is already planted, right? Correct. So it'd be the next cycle, I guess, where there might be yes. an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Lisa was talking about copper before. Well, obviously, we're a big copper uh, exporter. So for, for, from a national level, um, uh, I think these things are creating some opportunities for us. But getting back to the topic in the sense around what, what's constraining, constraining growth, all of these things stop businesses growing um, and create uh, roadblocks and, and impediments that, that are difficult to get around. Uh, so, you know, um, if you've got good people, well, then, you know, you should be maximising that and that, that'll that give you a great opportunity in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm seeing as well people um, beginning to use their connections and relationships in more creative ways and investing maybe more in their relationships, uh, their business relationships, whether it's online, which we can do now, much better because we're accustomed to it. We know we know how to do it. It's not the same, we know, um, but it's a lot better than um, um, not 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 being with, with with people. And also, the the face to face has has started again. So, in terms of getting access to whether it's skills or space, 
or assets that you need, say, for example, uh, containers to, to export. So that, that is a major um, problem that we have here in, in this country. And we also have an imbalance within the country because most of our imports uh, tend to come in one port and a lot of our exports um, are generated in another region of the country. And they're always looking for uh, empty containers, which are in the wrong place. Um, so there's a, there's a kind of a business there moving containers, empty containers around the country. And the uh, we have a big problem with that. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Lisa, you were saying? Sorry, uh, I was just gonna say, we have a huge problem with empty containers. So um, we, we have that issue as well, to be sure. 93.9, Dublin South FM. So, and David, you mentioned also uh, earlier that um, resilience in the in the supply chain, which is a, a little bit kind of related to what I was talking about in terms of looking after those relationships, is something sure. that you feel is, is an important ingredient in helping people, you know, work around these uh, challenges. 100%, and as in, you know, dual sourcing. Now, whether that's dual sourcing from, from uh, multiple companies or whether it's from uh, sourcing from the same company with different um, manufacturing locations or whatever it happens to be, I think you need a second source of supply for your for your key your key components. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so, so, so taking that, that, that chassis example, for example, so if, you know, if we can't get a chassis from Mercedes, well, then we build something on a Renault or we build something on a Fiat. Um, so, so you know, it's that balancing act and having that al- at least gives you the alternative. Mm. You know, so while that's creating more work to replan and, and those sorts of things um, uh, and make sure, you know, our, our MRP is running properly and we have the right material in the right place at the right time, uh, that's, that's additional work that potentially shouldn't need to be there. It at least allows you to stay in business. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading an article the other day in uh, one of the UK uh, newspapers and the guy was... Um, talking about the succession over the last hundred years of different periods of instability, um, uh, upheaval, and then kind of quiet periods. Um, and there's been several several of them going right back to maybe 1900. And I guess in, in our lifetime, he was talking about um, the period of upheaval that started with the oil crisis in 1973 that lasted until about the fall of the Berlin Wall or when the Soviet Union collapsed around 1990, 1991. And then we went into this period of kind of uh, uh, stability and growth and so on that lasted maybe from 1990 up until the financial crash in what, 2007, 2008. And now we've been in this period and it seems like it's just one thing after another. So you remember we had uh, the, the credit crunch and the property bubble, and then we had um, uh, geopolitical tensions. We had the election of Trump here in Europe. We had uh, Brexit and we had COVID. <laughs> we've had, we've had the, the war. So it's almost like businesses need to be adapting and adapting and adapting all the time. Because I have, I have one per client and during COVID, his supply, so he, he brings in uh, furniture and homeware to, to the market here and distributes. And a lot of the supply was coming, coming from China and Southeast Asia. They're wood, wood products made from wood. And um, he, he was having problems t- during COVID. So he actually stopped um, bringing certain products from that part of the world. And he shifted. He thought he was very clever. And he was very clever. And he shifted. And where did he shift to? He shifted to Russia. Okay. Yeah. So now he was bringing this stuff out of Kaliningrad. Uh, and into Ireland, and now uh, we've got this war, and we've got the embargo, and the and. The, uh, but that's the point, though, Patrick. Did he shift all of it, or did he? No, shift- no, no, he shifted. He shifted. He shifted part of it. But yeah. but I'm just making the point, you know, that businesses have to be ready to change 
and change right. again and change again and change again. So yeah. now he's going to have to do something else. Um, so have you seen have you seen any examples like that? Well, not so much examples like that, but what comes to mind when you talk about that to me is, um, are you a student of Ray Dalio? Because he's an interesting character. Yeah, I actually have his book here. Um, yeah, and, and and he talks about these long cycles, right? And and when when you look at at, at history, um, after that's the yeah. So after, after every after every pandemic, there is a massive um, uh, social upheaval follows each of the pandemics and and it creates um, a lot of social unrest and I don't think we're seeing anything different than than what has happened in the long cycles in the past millennia ago so if you go back far enough so this is this seems to me to be just part of the cycle now you know obviously you and I our memories don't go back far enough to know those so you need to be a bit of a student of history that's the one thing I've learned from him around that is you need to, to, to be a student of long history um, and if, if if you had been that this is potentially foreseeable or events like it are potentially foreseeable yeah I guess one uh, ingredient of the current situation is the role played by technology um, and the way it affects the speed with which things happen. Um, Correct. So, so Lisa, maybe as, as we come to the end, maybe comment from you just on that kind of um, idea of having to continuously uh, adapt and um, how maybe technology is kind of the, the, uh, the special ingredient today that makes it maybe different from before. Yeah, well, I definitely am seeing that my clients are continually adapting. And so one of the things that I'm seeing is really important is... Uh, folks who are looking at uh, sales, inventory, operations, planning processes, because it's a good way to keep in, keep in touch with all the changing conditions. And it forces you to at least look at it on a monthly basis, if not more. So that's critical. Um, with that said, you're absolutely right, Patrick, that um, technology can help. And what I'm actually seeing is some of the simple things are really the things that work uh, today. So like or, or they might be considered basic even. So like ERP upgrades to a modern ERP system is critical in today's environment because the modern ERP systems, generally speaking, will cover things like e-commerce and, um, you know, uh, they'll, they'll- Automation, for example. They'll work with IoT in terms of your machines yeah, yeah. and those kinds of things. So a modern ERP system. And the other thing that's critical is looking at your data. Every client that I'm working with, especially if you're looking at PSYOP, which is, like I said, critical for staying on top of this, is no client's data is perfect. And it doesn't even need to be perfect. It just needs to be directionally correct. But that alone is difficult to get out of their system in a way that they can make decisions. Like, should I offload? Should I um, outsource? Should I bring on a new supplier? How do I figure out how much additional nickel to bring in so I can avoid price increases or whatever. Um, and so looking at data integrity and also a, like a BI tool, uh, business intelligence for getting data out of the system, predictive analytics is more of a progressive concept, but those types of things are, are key today. So mm -hmm. to some degree, stick with the basics and expand upon them with, with some of these like tools is what I'm seeing. I mean, that's aside from, of course, robotics and, um, you know, AI is incorporated in the modern ERP systems. Yeah. But, you know, those kinds of things are popular today, too, but it's more about uh, offsetting 
the lack of people. Whereas the modern ERP systems and related data systems are more about how do you function? How do you meet customer requirements? How do you get ahead of all this stuff? And it can help you too with, um, you know, mm -hmm. needing less people. But mm -hmm. well, I've noticed as well, kind of um, a greater level of ambition and a preparedness to actually do things and take decisions. And I don't know whether that is because during uh, COVID, there were many examples, both quite, quite publicized examples and other smaller examples that people would have seen in their personal life or in their work life, where things that seemed very difficult to do were done very quickly. And people kind of went, actually, you know, when we want to do things, we can do them. And we're probably still in that that cycle. So we haven't got back to any kind of stability where people have got used to a status quo again. And I'm getting kind of this, this feeling of people going, yes, we can do this. We take this decision. Uh, we want to automate or we want to integrate or we want to build. And, and I'm getting that kind of um, um, sense from clients around the place that there seem to be more um, uh, willing to take decisions that before they would have hesitated more about. Have you seen, have you seen that kind of thing going on? Yeah, Patrick, 100%. So my business, um, I do. A, a, I have a number of pillars to my business, and ERP selection is one of them that Lisa was talking about before. And I've never done more selections in one in the last two years than I've done in my whole life. So there was a lot of businesses making the decision that uh, you know they weren't getting the data that they needed and all the things that Lisa was talking about. They weren't getting that properly, so they changed their systems and they quick, quickly made the decision. And there was a flood of people looking to do that. Uh, I am finding that starting to tail off now. Um, so whether uh, everybody's changed, which I doubt, um, so maybe the preparedness to make those decisions, those that were willing have made them, those who won't probably won't continue not to. I think that might be more the reality. Um, but, but likewise with the, the robotics and, and those sorts of things, because, you know, if we're looking for productivity changes and we're, and we're resource as in people constrained because of our, our, our um, borders being shut and people costing more money and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, they're starting to make those those decisions around robotics. How do we put in automation? How do we put in smarter tools? As Lisa mentioned, can we connect our ERP systems to to the to, to, to the Internet of Things and get better data from our, from our machinery? All of those sorts of decisions are being made. Yeah. Okay. Any final thoughts, Lisa, yeah. before we wrap? Well, since we were since David brought it up, another area, and I know it relates to you, um, Patrick, is one of the pieces that I would consider part of modern ERP and that I'm seeing clients do, especially with the increase in e-commerce, is that gets back to um, warehouse management systems and automated warehouse equipment. So I, I know you specialize in that area as well, but I'm definitely seeing an increase in that. And also with David, so David, it's interesting you brought this up, but I am seeing a slight slowdown also on the ERP selection side. So they still need it, but I think that you're right. It's just that the smarter people are getting ahead of the pack. So the other thing I would bring up, Patrick, that I'm seeing is, is that I think no other time other than the Great Depression, which I'm hoping we don't go through that again, but um, I see, I'm seeing more opportunities for clients that are strong to get stronger and clients that are weak are going to get absorbed or go out of business, basically. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's more opportunity right now than ever before, but they have to be resilient and agile and, you know, have modern ERP and, you know, like it's a lot of work, hard work, which is why some of them are choosing not to do it. So Lisa, I think that's, that's a very good point because there was a lot of talk about uh, many zombie companies 
just prior to, to COVID, and there was going to be sort of an economic clean out of those organisations that, that happens uh, because they're just not strong enough to survive and, and, and from an economic perspective. Uh, but COVID stopped that because there were so many government subsidies to keep businesses alive, keep yeah. people going, all that sort of stuff. So that COVID's done nothing but just delay that inevitability of those businesses actually coming to a realisation that they shouldn't be in business. Yeah, that's true. So I, I see more of that happening in the future. I don't know if you see that as well, Patrick, but... Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. It looks like we're head, we're looking at a kind of a, a great reckoning of of sorts. So opportunity, but but danger, and maybe a, a, a clear out, and maybe more of a kind of um, a, well, a consolid, consolidation or concentration. The the answer is business one hundred and one. Do your basics properly. Yeah, it really Amazing. is because like. The clients that are getting ahead of these supply chain disruptions are taking business from the from the people who aren't getting ahead. And so it's just it is business 101 in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Good lessons there for all. So thanks. Thanks again uh, for being here uh, this evening, guys. It's been a pleasure. Um, wish you continued success personally and, and professionally and look forward to seeing you back here next month. Thank you, Patrick. Yep, thank you. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. And you can find the Interlinks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and other podcast platforms. So for any comments or questions, drop me a line on pdaily at alba, A-L-B-A, logistics.com. And in the meantime, keep well and stay safe until next time.